Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture this morning is from Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 13. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there until it has watered the earth, letting it bring forth in bud, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the things whereto I send it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Matthew. That day Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorny plants. 
The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on them and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, of 60 to 1. And in another case, 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Consider then the parable of the farmer, Jesus said. Whenever people hear the word about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries away what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown in the path. As for the seed that was spread on the rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. But because they have no roots, they last for only a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, this refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth choke the word, and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce. A case of 100 to 1, and another case of 60 to 1, and in another, a yield of 30 to 1. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, my neighbors moved to the Dexter countryside about a year ago from some Midwestern urban center. Their lovely house, like ours, is situated in what used to be a productive farm field. And so the land is completely devoid of any landscape elements or even mature trees. The previous owners apparently labored to create rich features of flower and shrub gardens. They planted lovely bushes and perennial beds and even a few small trees. All these things took the place of the wheat and the corn and the soybeans that used to grow on this plot of Washtenaw ground. Well, growing prominently in one of these carefully tended flower beds, is one of the largest, healthiest, and most dramatic weeds that one can spot in our part of the world. It stands erect, it's over six feet tall, and it's ringed by the base, it's based by some rich velvety leaves, and it's spiked by a cluster of little yellow flowers. It's verbascum thaspus, or common cow mullen to those of us. It's an invasive weed. It's capable of taking over a plot of bare ground and absolutely destroying everything around it. Extracts of cow mullen are used widely for herbal remedies. It's rec rec recommended for coughs. It's used for a variety of skin problems as well. The plant is also used to make dyes and torches as was, report, uh, was imported from Europe by early settlers and plantation owners as a fish poison. Native Americans used to use its thick leaves as insulation against the cold in winter. I see my neighbors from time to time walking their dog and pushing a stroller with their children in it, and I wonder if they know that this large plant that they're cultivating in their yard is a weed and an invasive one at that. I wonder if they know that they'll have a lot of trouble digging out its taproot because it can it varies in proportion to the height of the plant. So if the plant is six feet, the taproot is six feet. And it's likely to produce in the fall when it goes to seed some 100 to 180,000 single seeds. 
some of which can endure in the world for over 100 years. I love the look of a well-tended garden, the order, the efficiency, the good use of space and proper cultivation practices. I don't like weeds, and I don't like their inefficiency. Time is short, we know. Multitasking is all over us. For instance, making this sermon this week, I thought about it while I was power washing the house on my drive to Ann Arbor and while fixing a rocking chair. Can you tell? Life is short. Why should we waste our time or resources? There are many ways in which I'm not inclined to be a disciple of Jesus. There are some aspects of my personality that make following Jesus into the world difficult. And this parable of the sower gets right at the heart of one of them. I like things to be organized and efficient. I don't like to waste anything, especially resources. But then there is this line from Matthew. Listen, a farmer went out to sow. And I also think of God putting each and every one of these weedy flowers in all their proper places, in my garden, my neighbor's lawn, all across our county, our state, our nation, and all around the world. I have in my head now an image of God scattering seeds like a child blows on the seeds of a puffy dandelion. Little seeds blowing in all directions, God not giving a thought or a care to where they might land. If they'll take root or grow, God blowing on the flower, the seeds regardless. And in the process, dotting the landscape with flowery weeds that pop up in droves in unexpected and difficult places. Now when we take time to plant daylilies or iris or maybe echinacea, we take time to make sure the soil is receptive and prepared. When I plant vegetables, I take into account the amount of sunlight that will be shed upon the ground. I look at the water content of the soil. I determine if there's enough organic matter to support what it is we're trying to grow. I don't want to waste seed or space or time. But God lavishly scatters seeds. Some will grow and some will not, but God keeps on scattering and blowing dandelions and common cow mullen, knowing that it will spread and grow and change the look of the landscape. Maybe it will look more like kudzu, weed out of control before God's finished. According to Matthew, God isn't stingy in any way that we can relate to. God doesn't assess our worthiness before God scatters seeds of love and grace and mercy. God throws them around. So I wonder if we shouldn't be a little more like God, the farmer who scatters the seed. We judge the soil. We prepare the soil. We amend the soil. We dig, we fertilize and water. And then if the timing is right and the weather is favorable, we gingerly place the seed in the ground. And then we take a great deal of pride in whatever harvest we give. But God doesn't farm like that. God lavishly, foolishly, wastefully scatters the seeds of the word of grace and mercy and justice, of humility and inclusion, lavishly and foolishly everywhere. Miraculously, 
miraculously, the results that God gives, the harvest that God produces is tremendous. In Jesus' day, a farmer on a good year might expect a 4 or a 5 or a 6% yield. But here Jesus said that God's return from God's method of scattering is 30 or 60 or 100-fold. It's a mind-blowing harvest that would more than provide for the farmer and the farmer's family. So I wonder, why don't we try God's method of sowing seeds for a while? I wonder if we shouldn't just throw away some seeds of mercy and inclusion and reconciliation in Burns Park. Perhaps we could carry them to the north side or down to southeast Ann Arbor. I wonder if we might not be surprised by the harvest, its bounty and location. No doubt, a few birds will gobble up some seeds and some thorns will choke out some other and others will be smashed into the pavement, but that's not our concern. Maybe we should just keep lavishly and foolishly and wastefully scattering God's seeds around the world. Seeds that contain the makings of good news and forgiveness. Seeds that will inevitably produce a harvest of racial reconciliation and of common listening to each other. Seeds that will change the look and feel and shape of the whole range of immigration practices that have seized our nation with dividing walls. Seeds that have the potential to simply feed the masses and ensure that they're not hungry people living around the corner from where you lay your head at night. Seeds that will make beautiful the most desolate of places in a world where the climate is changing rapidly and we seem to turn a blind eye to the results everywhere. Maybe we should be scattering seeds. When I learned this parable as a young adult, and maybe you did as well, I looked around me to see who it was that could be divided up into the different categories. The people that had a shallow faith. The people who were swept up into the temptations of the world. The people who were just too hard and difficult to receive God's word. Well, I myself became determined to stay on the straight and narrow path so that I would avoid these pitfalls. I wanted to be gathered up into the harvest. I wanted the judgment of God to fall on someone, anyone but me. This week I've come to see this parable as not about our ability to make our path in the world, but about God's actions in sowing seeds, God's seeds. There's no good explanation about why seed grows in this place and not in that. There's really no good explanation to why a pheasant and her chicks wandered through our garden and ate every last one of the corn that I planted. And the neighbor whose garden is right next door was completely untouched. The miracle is about God's power to pass out the harvest fruit that will yield mercy, justice, and reconciliation in the pervasive racially biased inequalities all across the board. Resistance to the notion that we have a role as stewards of creation to bear responsibility for the place in which we live. In June, the New York Times featured a big article titled, Failure is on the Syllabus. 
The subtitle read, Programs are being put in place to help students used to recognition and achievement cope with basic human setbacks. Hmm. So it is that prominent colleges like Smith and Cornell, the University of Texas and Davidson, are helping failure-deprived students manage the fallout from their first experiences of disappointment and failure. One of the leaders of this effort at Smith, Rachel Simmons, is quoted, we're not talking about flunking out of pre-med or pre-law or getting kicked out of college. We're talking about students showing up in residential life offices, distraught and inconsolable because they score less than an A- minus on an exam. The article goes on to assess the reasons for this phenomenon. The course of regular helicopter parenting is mentioned. The everybody gets a trophy culture in which kids live and work. The sense of stress over student debt and the likelihood of giving, getting a well-paying job. All of these things are factors. All of these things are no doubt true. But I wonder if there isn't something more fundamental going on. Failure is simply not a part of our lexicon of a well-lived life. But according to Matthew, maybe it should be. So why does Jesus tell this parable to his newbie disciples? And why does he tell it to this huge throng of followers gathered around him? Partly because he foresees that the way of faith is dangerous. And that going forward from this time in his ministry would be increasingly dangerous. Following Jesus will offer endless opportunities to learn from failure and rejection the closer they come to the cross. Getting a B is going to be the least of any of the disciples' worries. Jesus has already cautioned the disciples of approaching persecution. Just turn the page and John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, will be beheaded. God's present and coming kingdom will not come without great opposition. And we can't accuse Jesus of covering up the truth. Failure is assured. Followers' best efforts often will not yield any fruit or vegetables. Keep planting anyway. Keep throwing around seed like Vanna gives away fortunes. Expect the yield to be zero and rejoice when you're flabbergasted by a harvest that's 100-fold the norm. Then keep going and throwing God's seeds because you have no idea what's in them. We are to outdo the sower of this parable, period, Matthew tells us. Our focus is on the flinging of the seeds, the sharing of the word, the doing of the gospel of mercy and redemption and humility. Our priority should be on teaching and talking and writing and blogging and speaking about or snapchatting the seeds of God in the world. The results are not our worry. Our success or our failure is not ours at all. The kingdom work of scattering God's seeds has nothing to do with achievement and everything to do with passionate participation. Imagine the power of that word to a world that's obsessed with measurable results, perfectly balanced spreadsheets, unrelenting resume building, and college students that their inherent value is directly tied to their GPAs. Like many thoughtful people, I found myself dejected 
at the state of the world today. Sometimes I feel that we're merely orbiting a giant hairball of entangled, knotted, and broken cords of community, of race, of politics, of world, and even of creation. No amount of skill or effort or innovation seems to be able to untangle these threads. Nothing seems to be able to unweave what we have wrought. So there are many times that I wonder, what is this God up to? All this God has is a pocket of seeds. A pocket full of God seeds. Is the sower inept, I often wonder? The soil despondently bare of nutrients, ready to bear crops? No. But resistance to God's reign of justice and mercy and humility is real and strong and inevitable. Gregorily, there will be outbursts of amazing growth and potential. Practically, our focus is not on the soil or the seed, but on the gregarious, abundant, and foolish sowing of hope each day. When our kids were quite little, maybe two and four, or three and five, I took them to the play, a playground, this wonderful playground. Early in the day, my son had picked out a, a sheet of stickers. You guys remember stickers, little. And his were soccer stickers. He was thrilled with them and carried around with it, and he carried it around with his, in his hands. When he got to the playground, he was so excited he wanted to share one with every person who was there. So I watched as this little kid tirelessly went from person to person passing out soccer stickers. He was so thrilled with them that he wanted to share them. He really wanted to give them away. A few of his preschool buddies were exhilarated to have a sticker, and they were delighted. The school-age kids had outgrown stickers. They had walls to climb and creeks to play in, and his presence and his gift were unwelcome, and so they ignored him or told him to go away. There were a few teenagers about that were savvy enough to know that he wanted them to have them, and so they politely accepted even though they didn't understand his gift. The adults, well, the adults were clueless. Emphatically, they refused his gift, insisting that he keep them. No, you keep them for yourself. As I watched him go from person to person, insisting that he give them a gift, he was undaunted and undeterred. Maybe a little perplexed, but he kept offering anyway. He kept on until he had none left to give but the one sticker that he had placed on his own shirt earlier in the day. When they were all gone, he was delighted, absolutely thrilled, pointing out all the things and people that were now anointed with his stickers, his small tokens of care. I picture God standing in a field blowing dandelion seeds, thrilled as they float about and land and take root and spread in the most unexpected of places. Just weeds to many, but treasured flowers to children and others foolish enough to take notice of them, foolish enough to pick them and to give them away, foolish enough to make wishes and blow them in the wind. God doesn't judge the state of the soil or its worthiness or potential. God is just lavishly, foolishly, wastefully scattering seeds of God's grace, humility, and justice. 
across the whole landscape. And delighting because God knows that the harvest can be awesome and it can be mind-blowing. God knows that these seeds can change the whole landscape. God knows that they will take root in the most unexpected places, popping up like common cow mullein along the roadsides, covering abandoned buildings like kudzu, thriving despite the thorns and the birds, implanting in people's hearts hope even in the most desolate of places. So maybe we should just blow on a few more dandelions. Maybe my neighbors are more correct than I imagine and nurturing this giant cow mullein in their yard. Maybe we shouldn't worry so much about the state of the soil. Maybe we should trust the power that created it, the one who put power within the seed and just go out and delight in the throwing. God's seeds are available for your scattering. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Abundant God, from your good soil, you make enough and plenty to feed and inspire all your children. And out of your earth, you bring the glory of resurrection life. Come among us now through the power of your spirit that we may be transformed into your likeness and that, that these gifts of bread and wine from vine and wheat, may we become and may these gifts for us be, become the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Transforming God, where your children are in the grip of evil and bewilderment, bring them your courage and clarity. Where they are without deep root and facing trouble or persecution, give them the patience and endurance. Where they are burdened by the cares of the world and tempted by the lure of wealth, offer them wisdom and understanding. And where they bear fruit and yield, Make that fruit so plentiful that it may feed all in your world who hunger for faith, for hope, and for love. Sanctify your groaning creation that your universe may breathe your breath and be filled with your new life, that we may love what you love and do what you would do, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, ever one God. And now we are bold to pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.